Well, you know, it, it's it's getting to the point where when I talk about uh, a minute ago, like the position progressing, um, that's one of the reasons why is, you know, Jake, when you were in high school, you were probably one of the most popular kids on campus. I don't know much about pre-Arizona State of your career, but I would assume you're one of the most popular kids on campus or the most popular kid on campus. Where, where'd you grow up? I was in Boise, Idaho, and okay. I was pretty pretty quiet. But yeah, I mean, being an athlete, yeah, you get a little bit of notoriety. <laughs> totally. But you were in Boise, Idaho. So nobody right. on the East Coast had heard of you, right? Well, it was pre-internet. It was certainly pre-social media. And I mean, internet started when I was in high school. I graduated in 02. So, um, so you, being dra- you being recruited and all eyes on you and all that. When, it, when people say all eyes on you as the quarterback in Boise, um, it was like a bunch of eyes, like a couple hundred. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> in 2020, if you're Jake Plummer in 2020 and a big time recruit going somewhere, um, you have probably 15 to 20 minimum thousand followers on Instagram. You've had countless articles written about you. Now, it may just be on a website, 247, Rivals, whatever, but some, some adult did a bunch of research, interviewed you, interviewed people around you, and wrote about you. Um, you probably already had bad things said about you, not so much published, but more on Twitter. So you've heard people talk about those interceptions you threw and that stupid decision you made, even though you're a kid. And when you go to 7-on-7, seven seven, by the way, when you are in high school, I don't know that you guys played 7-on-7. Seven seven. Maybe you went to one tournament as a team, because that's what I did. I only had one tournament, the Mission Diego Diablos right. played it. There you go. Zero for me. <laughs> well, nowadays, when these kids go to these tournaments, it doesn't matter who all's there, any of that stuff, there are phones on. Yeah. And so at any given point, if they throw an absolute dime to some dude in the back corner of an end zone in a random seven on seven tournament at a pylon event in Vegas, that can go viral. And if they got really upset, the Jake Plum Ref 2020 got really upset and maybe like, dropped an F-bomb to one of his receivers or his coach, right? Or threw his water bottle on the ground, really pissed off. That could go viral too. And so what happens is these kids are getting accustomed to what you live as a pro. They're getting accustomed to that at 18, 17, 16, 15. So now look at Trevor Lawrence, the presumptive number one pick. I met him when he was 16. Jake, he's been a big deal since then. Yeah. Him playing in the national championship. Yeah. That was a massive deal. Like that game was a massive deal, but that was not the first time he was on a big stage. That was not the first time everybody was staring at him with cameras in his face. These kids, the big, the ones who, are, who get a hype early, they're really conditioned for this. And so to answer your question, some of them, you don't have to do anything to get them to stay humble and stay grounded and, and just focus on development. That's, that's just who they are and how they were raised. And some of them, you, you really need to guide them. And if whoever the most important people are in their lives, they need to guide them. And others are just destined to screw this opportunity up. And they're, they're just going to, and they do. Um, and so there's really three categories of guys of the kids who are big. The fourth category is the guys who come on late and go to the Juco, then the random call it the Josh Allens of the world. And so I see it across the board. It's just the positions progressing so much because of the situations these young guys are in. Welcome to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with all-pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plummer and mental performance coach Grant Parr.
where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From celebrating mental wins to actionable mental skills strategies and more, you'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with former NFL quarterback and elite quarterback coach Jordan Palmer, where he talks about how he builds quarterbacks from the inside out. Palmer's impressive client list consists of Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Jared Goff, and Sam Darnold. Jordan shares how to manage pressure, prepare to be the next man up, and some intimate stories about backing up his brother, Carson Palmer. If you want to know about the man that is producing the best quarterbacks at all levels, this is the interview for you. Ready List Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyList are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to another episode of the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with Jake and Grant, where the mental game is discussed and discovered. Jake, what's up, my man? How are you? Uh, Grant, I'm doing good as usual, man. Just, uh, again, excited for a great guest. And, you know, we're here having fun doing a podcast, hoping to uh, shed some light on, you know, the mental side of the game that we all love, football. You having a good day? Oh, yeah, man. I'm having a great day, and I'm really excited for today's guest, man. Yeah, me too. I've been uh, in touch with this guy. I've known about him for a long time. Uh, he's doing some really cool things. Uh, I think as a quarterback, you always had to stay one step ahead of everything. He's on that course with his online digital training, the QB Summit. Uh, Jordan Palmer is our guest today. He spent time in the NFL. Uh, he probably didn't have the, quite the career you would know of his brother that Carson had. Of course, his brother Carson, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But Jordan although didn't quite get to play as much, soaked in as much knowledge as he could from everybody around him, a true seeker of the knowledge of the game. And now he's giving it back to the kids, uh, these young kids. And when we talk about the clients he's working with, you're gonna, your jaw's going to drop. So none other than today's guest, I'm going to bring into the show, Jordan Palmer. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. This is, uh, this is awesome what you guys are doing. And it's always been the mental side of the game is on and off the field or, or in and out of the pocket, so to speak, is um, is always but kept me drawn to the position and drawn to the development of the position. Um, I've seen so many guys throw. I'm less, I'm less impressed as time goes on with anybody's individual talent or size or athletic ability. Um, it's the mental part. And whether that's situational football, whether that's emotional intelligence, whether that's communication, any of those things, that's always been the most fascinating part of the game for me and the game that the part of the game for me that actually is progressing the fastest and the most, um, both at the top level and in the NFL and also at the youth level, what's what's progressing the position and ultimately the sport forward. So I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah, man, it's uh, 
It's great to have you on the show. We've been in touch recently uh, concerning the digital playbook that I'm working on. And, uh, you know, someone like you is, is very knowledgeable in what you have to learn. Uh, but I want to get into like real quick. This is part of the mental game for me. The all eyes on on you kind of aspect and you're a quarterback. I mean, everyone's eyeballs are on you, on the quarterback. You work with a lot of young, young kids. You all the way up to the jerseys hanging out behind you. Some of the best in the league right now, the up and coming young players. How do you prepare them so that they don't lose track and focus of like, yeah, you are the guy everyone's looking at, but also you got to be cool when you're not the guy getting looked at how do you work with them on that regard to not let their heads get so big let that ego get so big that they can't even handle you know getting turned down at a table at a restaurant because they think they're the shit how do you handle that with these guys well you know it's it's getting to the point where when i talk about uh, a minute ago like the position progressing um that's one of the reasons why is you know jake when you were in high school you were probably one of the most popular kids on campus i don't know much about pre-Arizona State of your career, but I would assume you're one of the most popular kids on campus or the most popular kid on campus. Where, where'd you grow up? I was in Boise, Idaho, and I okay. was pretty pretty quiet. But yeah, I mean, being an athlete, yeah, you get a little bit of notoriety. <laughs> totally. You were in Boise, Idaho, so nobody yeah. on the East Coast had heard of you, right? Well, it was pre-internet. It was certainly pre-social media. And I mean, internet started when I was in high school. I graduated in 02. So, um, so you being draft, you being recruited and all eyes on you and all that. When it, when people say all eyes on you as the quarterback in Boise, um, it was like a bunch of eyes, like a couple hundred. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> in 2020, if you're Jake Plummer in 2020 and a big time recruit going somewhere, um, you have probably 15 to 20 minimum thousand followers on Instagram. You've had countless articles written about you. Now, it may just be on a website, 247, Rivals, whatever, but some, some adult did a bunch of research, interviewed you, interviewed people around you, and wrote about you. Um, you probably already had bad things said about you, not so much published, but more on Twitter. So you've heard people talk about those interceptions you threw and that stupid decision you made, even though you're a kid. And when you go to 7-on-7, seven seven, by the way, when you're in high school, I don't know that you guys played seven on seven. Maybe you went to one tournament as a team because that's what I did. I only had one tournament, the Mission Diego Cowboys right. played it. There you go. Zero for me. <laughs> well, nowadays, when these kids go to these tournaments, it doesn't matter who all's there, any of that stuff, there are phones on. Yeah. And so at any given point, if they throw an absolute dime to some dude in the back corner of an end zone in a random seven on seven tournament at a pylon event in Vegas, that can go viral. And if they got really upset, the Jake Plum Rep 2020 got really upset and maybe like dropped an F-bomb to one of his receivers or his coach, right? Or threw his water bottle on the ground really pissed off, that could go viral too. And so what happens is these kids are getting accustomed to what you live as a pro. They're getting accustomed to that at 18, 17, 16, 15. Wow. So now look at Trevor Lawrence, the presumptive number one pick. I, I met him when he was 16. Jake. He's been a big deal since then. Yeah. Him playing in the national championship, yeah. that was a massive deal. Like, that game was a massive deal. But that was not the first time he was on a big stage. That was not the first time everybody was staring at him with cameras in his face. These kids, the big, the ones who, are, who get a hype early, they're really conditioned for this. And so to answer your question, some of them, you don't have to do anything to get them to stay humble and stay grounded and, and just focus on development. That's That's just who they are and how they were raised. And some of them, 
you, you really need to guide them. And if whoever the most important people are in their lives, they need to guide them. And others are just destined to screw this opportunity up. And they're, they're just going to, and they do. Um, and so there's really three categories of guys of the kids who are big. The fourth category is the guys who come on late and go to the Juco, then the random call it the Josh Allen's of the world. And so I see it across the board. It's just the position's progressing so much because of the situations these young guys are in. Great answer, man. Yeah, man. That's, that's a lot of insight. It makes, it makes sense. Cause when we played, we didn't have phones and social media and all these distractions and, um, yeah, man, it makes total sense. Now, I want to talk about, I'm going to go back to your college days and kind of look at your development, because I think it's, it's astounding what you did in college. When, when you were at UTEP, each year you progressed, like you increased your TDs, your passing percentage, passing yards. If you can go back to your college career, what was that one thing or maybe two or three things that you can contribute to that development of growing and getting better each year? Well, I always say this, and ironically, I, I'm the guy that helps quarterbacks in the offseason, right? I'm not a quarterback coach on a team, and, and I'm not interested at this point in my life in being one. Um, so I'm kind of, during the season, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, more on the, the mental, mental side of it, the emotional side of it. But um, I'm a firm believer that the best way to get better is playing. So it has, it's, it's not working with me. It's not working with somebody like me. It's playing. Even if that's JV, sophomore. So I only played quarterback my senior year in high school and I got yanked at half every single game until the championship because we were arguably the best team in the country. My running back still has the national or the California rushing record. And so I, the only time I got to play the whole game was the championship game because they let me. So when I got to college and I played as a started all four years, my freshman year was my, you know, it was kind of my second year playing quarterback and my sophomore year was my third year playing quarterback. So I, you know, I, I was blessed my sophomore year to get Mike Price from Washington, uh, Washington State by way of Alabama. And, um, and you know, when I was playing in college, man, I was one of like five spread offenses in the whole country. So I was up there in yards. I was up there in touchdowns. And I was up there in interceptions, too. Um, but it was because every year I was top three in attempts, which has nothing to do with talent or ability. That's just the plays they're calling. So right, right. Um, we, we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't hand it off a ton. And so for me in college, it was just playing allowed me to progress um, and uh, and get better and better. You know, I have to say something about being a four-year starter in college. That's not something very common now that you see. And I think you could probably go back, as I've done before, too, and said, in today's environment, if this was 2020, in my sophomore year, they would have benched Jake the Snake. There would have been no more of me, probably, because the guy behind me was a badass athlete waiting for his chance. So you probably experienced the same thing, like, you had a coach that was allowing you to progress, which is a blessing. Do we see that, uh, you know, in today's environment of like play good, play good right now, or else what's the next one coming on? Is that the way it's going to be? Or will we see four-year starters? Well, I just think it's a trickle down. Um, you know, in college coaches are, there's just only a handful of coaches that, that have the job, like their dream job and would never leave anyways. There's just only, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Nick Saban, Davo Sweeney, Jimbo, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a lot of these, these guys, they would go somewhere. Like even look, you look at a Lincoln Riley every single year, that guy's name's linked to NFL jobs. So there's only a couple of guys that, that are set and never leaving. Right. So with that, there's always going to be the fear of this is, I have a year or two to make this work. And so from a quarterback perspective, they think about it in terms of right now. 
And yeah. so the fans do that as well. And then when you get to the pro level and you add in the fantasy football element where people really just care more about stats. And so it's more or less like, well, this person, Patrick Mahomes, did this his second year. Why isn't this person doing this his second year? And they're not factoring in the situation those guys are in, stuff that you, you know, the three of us would totally understand and respect. Um, but there's no context for that. And so the sense of urgency, um, you know, for quarterbacks to get really good, um, I would love to see teams develop guys, take more time with them. Um, I love, you know, what, what Kansas City did, their plan with Patrick. Um, I love what Miami's doing. And we just found out today uh, Tua is going to be the starter. But it wasn't week right. one. They're doing it. They're, you know, I, I, love, I love when they, when they allow guys to come in and develop. But the reality is, is that's not the market for quarterbacks. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and it goes down to high school, too. Like, if kids don't ball as a sophomore, they're worried about a transfer coming in. So that's the whole quarterback position these days. And so I, I don't like it. I wish they would develop more, but it's my job to get guys ready to play well when they're unprepared. And I think that's what the best quarterbacks do. And not everything's perfect. It's not, they're not completely prepared for this situation, but certain people play well in those circumstances consistently all the time. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to get good at. You know, you bring up the, it's, it's happening what well, happens in, in every sport, but right now the last five, six weeks in NFL, we've seen a lot of next man up uh, situations. Um, and this is actually a topic that it's really, I'm passionate about because I just wrote a book on the next one up last year. And just with Justin Herbert and even Andy Dalton coming in, um, Nick Foles coming in, I mean, it keep on going. When you think about getting people prepared, getting prepared for the unexpected and the unknown, like how do you mentally what are some of the things that you focus on when you're working and training with quarterbacks? Well, I just think it's, um, it's something you have to be comfortable in that, in that setting. You have to be okay and at peace with not being super prepared, not have gotten reps with that guy on that route right. or this look versus that coverage or seen this pressure full speed um, or played in this environment or played in front of no crowd just these things that come up or played in the snow for the first time or the rain for the first or whatever. So there's all these situations and it would be different to prepare for each of them. Right. Right. But the reality is, is from a mental perspective is you have to be at peace and know that your preparation, maybe not for that situation or that look or that throw, maybe that preparation isn't where you want it, but your preparation to handle a situation where you're unprepared like you're like that preparation. I know that's pretty like weird and like back in it, but <laughs> like you have to be comfortable. Like when you to really be a Navy SEAL, I think they they're gonna like bind your hands and feet and throw you in the pool at right. some point, right? Okay. At some like you're gonna train to get to that point, but there's no drill to get you good at that. They're just gonna yeah. throw you in the pool, right? And they're gonna throw you in that pool to make sure that you can be comfortable and okay and control your emotions in a situation that you've never been in before, and. The reality is this is because NFL, it's so quick. Like, it, you know, Baker Mayfield, if this, he's not it in the next nine games, they're going to draft. If Sam, if the Jets don't do this, they're going to take Trevor Lawrence to the number one pick. Like, that's just, that's just the, the state of our union right now in right. football. Right. right. And in college, it's the same way. And as soon as this transfer portal thing hits, I mean, dudes are going to be going, here's my top three schools coming out of high school. And they're going to go, I'll probably go to two or three of them. Like they're going to be like thinking that way. Wow, High school wow. kids. I know kids have gone to three or four schools. So, Crazy. so with that, you know, the 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 cream is going to rise to the the top way 
way more than when we all played. Think about how equal opportunity this is. We got five, 10 dudes winning Heisman's going number one overall. We got a left-handed kid who's 5'11 from Hawaii who just went fifth overall and he's going to start. And he won a national championship. He's a true freshman, right? We got a Johnny Manziel, this one of a kind wild card, whatever, wins a, barely wins the job in training camp and then wins the Heisman this freshman year. Like we've had, we're going to have our second guy from an FCS school in North Dakota State taken in the top five picks in five years. Wow. Carson Wentz and now Trey Lance. Like it's never been more equal opportunity, right? Yeah. So the window to get it dialed and show who you are is shorter and shorter. And so you've got to, like, that is what it is. It's just like, if you know your O-line can't block, what is the point in wasting time complaining about your O-line not blocking? Figure out a different path. And so that's what I try and instill in these young guys is you have to be comfortable being unprepared, so to speak, and you have to be prepared to handle that. And then with the quick turnaround, you know, and, and short leashes and small windows and whatever, the best guys are going to play. And so like some people come into situations they've never been in before. Right. And they're comfortable and they play. And some people don't, some guys win, some guys ball out as freshmen, some guys ball out as rookies, some guys don't. And so how do you mentally get yourself year round in a position where if I only get five throws, I'm going five for five. And so the idea of players complaining about reps in practice, which all the top picks outside of Joe Burrow and um, uh, Kyler Murray, outside of those two guys, every top pick, they don't, come, they don't take all the reps in the offseason. They split reps and they compete for the job, which is the, the stupidest thing in the world to me. So like every year I have top picks, they're complaining about reps in, the, in training camp. I'm splitting reps, man. I got half the reps with the two and I know I'm going to start. So you look at these things and it's like, you have to get yourself to a place mentally where whatever they give me, I'm going to take and I'm going to score. Like, and that's like, if we're if I get one putt, I'm making it. You know what I mean? Like I'm only going to be one game of Madden. Like I'm going to beat you ping pong. We only have 10 minutes. Let's play to 11. I got this. Like, like you have everything about what you do has to be, I'm taking advantage of this limited opportunity. Wow. Real quick here. Cause we're, we're talking about the next man up when you were in Cincinnati and you were backing up your brother, was there how badass is that by the way i have to say something like are you kidding me you're on the freaking same field as your brother like who cares who your brother is that's freaking unbelievable man amazing it was like the coolest scene in life like they got pregnant with twins and had babies in there too so my wife and i you know we were just around for all of it we both had gotten hooked on hunting like two years before that so bought a farm and we were just like Spend the whole off season out on the farm. It was just like such an amazing phase of life. Shooting guns, playing cornhole, hanging out, right? We, we, if we had home games, we'd come home and, you know, <laughs> grab a drink. And he backed up to like 90 acres of Boy Scout land that was back there. Uh, and we wanted to like debrief and talk about the game. We'd just go for like an hour walk back in the woods in the middle of the night. It was awesome. We knew that yeah. like the back of our hand because we hunt back there. We just walked back there in the snow, whatever, cruise back and hang out. It was just like, just to, for all the reasons, it was cool. And we had a year Amazing. where we were really good. We were, went 12 and four one year and swept the division. So that was fun to be a part yeah. of that too. Yeah. Amazing. Sorry, Grant. I had to say something. No. I have brothers. I'm, so I'm glad I, you, you did. Know, I can only imagine. <laughs> totally. Well, you, well, when you think about that experience, 
you can, I can only imagine we talk about the media, everyone's, you know, comparing you to your brother. And there's all this, probably all this noise potentially just because you're same last name brothers and you're backing them up. But was there extra pressure that, cause you didn't know when your number was going to be called that you wanted to show up for your brother. You wanted to take, you know, fill in his shoes. If that time came, did you have that extra pressure? No. Well, so the pressure I felt from being the little brother of Carson Palmer and, and he's four and a half years older than me. So we just missed each other in high school. Um, the pressure was big or the shadow I'll say mm. was cast over me. That was, it was, uh, it was like completely on me at all times in like high school. And then as like, I got to college, like it dimmed further and further. And it was really because of this. We, we knew at an early age, my brother was born to do this, like literally designed to play the position and mentally and emotionally as well. The things about him, positive things about him and the negative things that, you know, he needs to work on or his wife would change if she could. Like, those are all things that are programmed to be a quarterback. Like the, the fact that he's an internal process. Okay. Like that, all the great ones are right. Like, <laughs> Even like the every side, let alone like 6'5", 230 with the craziest arm I've ever seen. Think about it like this. For the last eight years, I've either trained or spent a bunch of time with all the top quarterbacks that are drafted. I still haven't met anybody that I think consensus, anybody, everyone would take over him. I still haven't seen that guy. Wow. So wow. Jerry Jones was great. Uh, Cardinals, Cowboys, Monday Night Football. I was working at the time. I was training Jerry's grandson. And so um, the owner's suite is at Arizona. It was Monday Night Football owner's suite was next to Carson's wife's family suite. And so I went over there at halftime. I'm talking to Jerry and Stephen Jones and Jerry said something to me and Jerry, you know, I don't, I don't think he makes stuff up. He made a comment to me and the the group that we were with, I thought was interesting. He said, Jordan, never told your brother this. You can relay this to him, but I think your brother would be the number one pick in any draft past or future. And it was really interesting because I'm the guy that pretty pretty in the middle of the draft thing every year right really for like the last 15 years if you count when I was playing um because I I came out Jamarcus Russell's year and I knew Jamarcus Russell's we were 16 years old at the elite 11 like been around all the top picks right and so to think that like that that was my brother and that was the that was the example I got to see my whole life growing up like all the stuff that no one saw the injuries the way he dealt with media for the first time like we don't come from a football family where my dad is Archie Manning and we, we we're just predisposed. We know what's coming. Like everything was new. And the fact that my brother just handled himself the way he did for his whole career, just like loyal and fun and honest and hard work, like forget the arm talent. So for me, that was my example. So in terms of the shadow, when I was a kid and I was trying to make it, the shadow was heavy, but I got to a point where I realized, I think in college, Okay, now that I've thrown with Drew Brees and Philip Rivers and Carson and all these NFL guys, and I'm in a counselor at the Elite 11 with Troy Smith and Brad Smith and Drew Stanton and Jamarcus Russell and all these guys, I'm like, none of these dudes look like Carson. None of the, I grew up playing catch with them. I thought that's what good guys looked like, not like the most elite of all time guys look like. So for me, I, once I realized that he was born to do this, I was also at the time coaching guys and I realized I can explain this way better than I can do this. And so when that really became like my gift and I saw it, um, I really felt no pressure. So when I was in Cincinnati, I never felt the pressure. If somebody joked around or made a, you know, made a comment about being a little brother of like, I'm like, are you kidding me? I got like the best job in the world right now. I'm certainly not going to someone else's opinion. So um, yeah, the shadow faded 
over time. And, but again, mm. like going through that, that uniquely puts me in a position to be able to talk to Arch Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli, like these next guys that come up with the pressure. And you talked about Jake in the open, you talked about um, QB Summit digital platform. A lot of guys who have are playing now or used to play quarterback in the NFL, sons are members and on this thing. Because wow. they can't coach their kid. So it's like my, my, my life in that shadow is going to help a ton of people who wouldn't know who else to go to. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing, man, to hear that and, and to have, have talked a few times with you now to get a little deeper into that acceptance, really, of who you are, what you are, what you accomplished. You know, people put expectations on you. I know that even after I played 10 years, you know, there were some fools saying, man, this guy had a, a horrible career. He was a failure. Okay, that's your opinion. But 10 years in the NFL, my God, like that's a huge success. Your brother, you, the time you spent, huge success. But there are kids like, you know, the guys you're working with. You've named some amazing guys that are balling right now and some to come up that we'll, we'll, we will know about soon if we don't already. How do you coach them on the opposite, the flip side of that? Because I know you've seen hundreds that come through there. Not all hundred make it. How do you, do you work with any of them post, you know, maybe falling out of, uh, failing out of school or not completing their, the obligation to a school and football becoming secondary? Do you do any work like that? Because I feel like you've accepted your role, but how do you help these young kids with all that pressure you've talked about assimilate back into normal life and not be, you know, holding on to that like regret that they didn't do what everyone thought they should. Yeah. Um, I don't have a website for it, but I certainly, certainly get a lot of phone calls and, and random texts and, uh, Hey man, I haven't talked to you in a few years. Do you got a minute? Um, I get those texts. Those are my favorite ones. Um, yeah. I look at it like this, like my logo, my company, I don't, I don't have anything in here, but like it's summit. It's like this mountain range. Well, it's symbolic. Cause that's like what your career is. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. The only career I haven't seen is the one that like, you like won the championships, got the scholarship, went to the NFL, was drafted high, won the championship again, got all the money. Never, never got hurt, never dealt with anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Never lost a family member, never had a wife, had a miscarriage in the middle of the season, never had, you know, like this, the stuff, right? That happened. So um, I work with a foundation called Nigu, okay? Um, it's these blue bracelets. So from Dak Prescott to everybody I've ever worked with. We've been on the cover of Sports Illustrated seven times. It's, it's um, we deal with, um, this is the bracelet stands for never ever give up. And, uh, and we deal with children battling cancer. And so it's really inter intertwined. It's called the Jesse Reese Foundation. Uh, a little girl named Jesse started it uh, when she was going through her battle. Um, very, very near and dear to my family. My youngest son's name is Reese after the family. So I've been a part of this for a long time. And, um, the reality is, is like when we talk about like football is so symbolic of life and all that stuff, I look at it like this, like this is just our journey. It's what my logo is, what it is. It's just a mountain range, right? And I had, I've had two this year, Summit kids, QB Summit kids, turn Nigu kids. Wow. Just heavy, Wow. right? High school kids. Wow. Not because there's a good time to, to, to have these types of things. So when I look at that, I look at it like these guys are all on a journey, QB journey. I don't play anymore, but I'm still on mine. And so when you go through that, I'm really just a guide. And for some guys, I'm the entire journey. Like when they were little to when they're old. And there's not that many of those guys, but there's a couple of those guys. Um, for some of them, it was just this window, right? Draft training, that one camp back in college or their third year in the league. And, and more, more recently, once what you said, 
once their NFL career ended and they're trying to make an XFL team. So my thing is I'm like a guide. I may guide you your whole career. It may be a piece. It's not really actually up to me. I'll let everybody know that I'm available to the best that I can be to help you give you the counsel that I think I can. And I usually got the answer or know somebody who can get you an answer. It's usually not sorry about, sorry, bro. Um, and so, and it's more delegating and fine. Hey, this is the, Hey, I'll talk to Jake Plummer about that. Actually, that's, if it's okay, I'll reach out to Jake and see if it's cool. Like that kind yeah. of thing. And so for me, it's really just a journey these guys are on. Um, and whether it's knee injuries, whether it's transferring, whether it's getting benched, whatever it is, like, either got an answer, I can connect you with somebody who's got a good answer for you. Um, and I, so it's not about like, I don't have a thing set up for the guys who are struggling to transition into life. But for guys who, who know anything about me, they would, for some reason, I, I, guys reach out to me and, and ask, even guys who are older than me, um, because there is some business stuff that, that I've been a part of. And then the, 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 the coaching side of it. And my thing is like, it's, it, I've ne- I never transitioned. I was coaching while I was playing. I started a business while I was playing. I just kind of stopped playing, which freed up a bunch of time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. So I, for me, I never looked at it like a transition. Um, and I, I, the piece of advice for anybody who does see this, who's like, who, let's say somebody did used to play, who's like, man, I can't, I can't figure out what my thing is. That was my identity. I don't know what to do now. And I, coaching doesn't pay me enough money. I don't want to do this. I'm not famous enough to do the TV thing. And to go get a regular job, man, I've been too entitled my whole life everything so much has been given to me, it's hard for me to bring myself down to go do those things. That's a very pretty hammer on the nail, you know, synopsis of a lot of people's transition, whether they have millions or not. Okay. And what I say is like the things that make, make you great at football or allow you to do it professionally to be able to really narrow down what those things were. Cause if you really boil it down, talent played a role but nobody's game was like the foundation of who they were was just arm talent. Like there's just too many other factors. Right. Right. And so if you're seven foot six, you might, you might just go to the NBA just off the height. But even if you have the strongest arm in the world, I've seen the strongest arms and a lot of the strongest arms I've ever seen out of high school kids are dudes we've all never heard of. So like, that's not enough. I would say this, like the things that make you great as a player, finding ways that that actually can manifest like in in the real world in conversations and i just believe that like this service servant leadership um and like getting good at serving others and that's what i think the best leaders do um getting good at serving others like that i just when people really dive into that the when i the doors i hear afterwards opened up are it's just it's pretty consistent man but if your thing is making money your thing is maintaining your brand like it's hard for those doors to open. You know, they open for current athletes. They don't open for former ones as much. Wow. <laughs> you, you know, you bring Good something answer. up, man. Like, I think the best role in the world, I don't care what it is, CEO, quarterback, coach, water polo coach, I don't care what role it is. Being in service is the best role. Just being in service, man. man when you're, at least for me, that I, I experience that my frequency is so high when I'm in service. And especially with my job being a mental performance coach, when I have athletes that come and work with me and they're bought in, they're vulnerable, they're bringing stuff that they've reflected on, they're bringing their journals, man, I'm like a little kid, like my, my tail is wagging like a dog because I just get so excited for those experiences. And I can only, I know you're passionate about what you do, you know, as a quarterback coach. So when you're working with, with quarterbacks, 
what's that thing that just fires you up when you're working with these with these quarterbacks? I love seeing light bulbs turn on. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that co players have said to coaches have said to players. Right? Keep two hands on the ball. Keep two hands on the ball. Keep two hands on the ball. But at some point, the light goes light bulb goes on. And they're like, oh, okay. I think I'm actually going to keep two hands on the ball now. And it's not because it's the 137th time the guy said it. It might be the strip sack that cost them the game. It might be the drill that made sense. It might be the video where you show them and go, hey, do you notice you had two hands on the ball that time? And so there's just so many opportunities to turn the light bulb on. For a lot of guys in draft training, they never were really asked for having any responsibilities in protection. Who's blocking who? It kind of let the center point the mic. If they felt pressure, they kick out one of these flat routes. Like that's a lot of college football. And so when I'm doing through the draft and the quarterback, they're studying everything, they're looking at it. And like for, for what I do is I, a lot of these guys are, they really all are visual learners. So I take poker chips when I'm teaching protections, teach poker, poker chips. And I slide people around so you can really see the formation. You can see where they're coming from and all that. And it happens in real time and it creates pictures. So at some point between that and doing walkthroughs, some point somebody goes, Okay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the mic, but okay, I see it. I see it. And now everything else is just, you know, an addition to that, but they have a foundation where well, the first time they chase their hip and their kinematic sequence, their hip firing, then their shoulder, then they're all becoming through like the first time they feel that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I love when the light bulb goes off and, um, and sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it was that one little breakthrough with young guys chasing their hip a lot of them they, they throw and they don't even access their core they're not even using it right and they want to get their arms stronger and so that when they start to do these things where they actually their hip fires and they it just the kinematic sequence is lined up and they accidentally throw one I, I literally every camp I do I got one this weekend um it'll happen I, I do this one drill I call it Cutler because I ironically when we talk about mechanics I learned it from Jay Cutler but he does this thing or he turns his front foot out which kind of cuts off his left leg and the only thing he can do is push off the ground behind him with his right leg. And the only way it works is if you fire your hip first. So it's, I have, a, I have guys do it, I do it as a drill, but then it's part of their warm up. Give me four or five cutlers every day. Cause do the math Four or five of those. Every time you throw, that's about three or three to three and a half to five days a week over the course of 30 to 40 weeks a year. Like you're talking about a couple thousand reps. So for me, I, I, I have them do that. And at some point in that camp, some kid is going to throw a perfect spiral exactly where they're aiming, and it's going to go five yards over the receiver's head. And they're going to go, oh, my bad, my bad, sorry, dude. And, I'm, and I stop the whole camp. I go, hold on. It's a light bulb just went off. That's the first time you've accessed your core when you threw. You've uh -huh. literally thrown every ball with your arm until today. It's like the first time I pushed my son into a wave, he popped up on his feet and caught it and surfed it. And I told him then, the same thing I tell these guys, your life will never be the same. <laughs> you got it now. Like now it's about building consistency and feel and you be able to coach it and ultimately get to self-correction. Um, but my favorite thing is when those light bulbs come off and, um, and, uh, and really honestly, it's, it's, there's mechanical stuff and there's learning stuff, but when guys really understand how to deal with their own stuff inside and they know how to deal with, maybe it's depression, maybe it's anger, maybe it's needing to really let go. Maybe it's needing to forgive that person in their family. Uh, we can get to that level and they can unlock that part of it, and that light bulb goes off, that is the stuff that actually does change their life. And so that's the stuff that gets me juiced. Awesome. Uh, very nice, man. You started talking about protection, and I know we're getting close to the end of the show here, Grant. Yeah. If protection's breaking down, what do you do? you got to bounce out of the pocket. So you've had some great answers to some real uh, in-depth questions about quarterbacking and the middle side of the game. 
Now it's time to have some fun and talk a little bit of out of the pocket questions. I'm going to go first, if that's all right with you, Grant. Go ahead. I have Let it rip. to find out every quarterback, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, no matter what time they played, they have to be competitors, right? They have to want to compete, compete, no matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter what, not even just on the field, anything. So you and your brother, let's go back to it. I know you're competitive inside. You know, you want to beat your brothers. I have two older brothers. So I want to know though, who wins in ping pong, you or Carson? Me. Sweet. What about horseshoes? Mm, we haven't really played, played horse. horseshoes. Corn I'll tell you, I went, I went in cornhole, which is okay. <laughs> How about golf? Him. Yeah. How about tennis? That would be a good game. That would be a good game. All right. Good match back and forth. All right. Who can throw the football the furthest, even oh, today, like in today's Next world? Question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about? Popping a wheelie on a bicycle. Who could ride a wheelie the longest? Me. Anything surfing, skateboarding, I got them. Okay. How about playing a sweet little game horse in the backyard? Carson has one of the dirtiest jumpers ever. He won a state championship <laughs> in high school, Division okay. One, California, because he shot threes, rebounded, and guarded the, the, the tall guy on the other team. Love he, it, dude. You should <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here, here's, here's one more real quick. If you are told you have minutes to evacuate your house, I know you're getting your kids and all your, you know, your, your people and maybe some pets. What else are you grabbing? What's the one thing you got to take with you? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think I'm super attached to anything besides the stuff I can't <laughs> permanently replace. Yeah, I don't know. Good answer, um, dude. I yeah, I, like I, don't, it. I wish I had a good one. I'd have to really think about that, but I'm not super attached. I'm with you too. I don't know if well, I'd I, I'd probably thing. take my electric skateboard because Boosted went bankrupt. They don't make them anymore. And it's like, <laughs> and these things are going to be like collector's <laughs> thing. I'll never be able to get another one. I may grab my electric skateboard. Uh, I love it. Awesome, man. I love it. Last one though. I want to know you're a father, me being a father too. Do you have a uh, certain little song you like to sing to your kids, you know, to mellow them out at night before they go to bed? Yeah. It's funny. Um, there's a song. It's like, uh, I love you, Lord, and I lift your name on high. I just kind of freestyle and make up different words every time, but it's like a soothing <laughs> song. So I'm usually just yeah. talking, like singing to them um, in that. And then there's a Head in the Heart song um, uh, called Honey Bee. It's, uh, it's uh, my favorite band. My wife and I are friends with the band, you know, known them forever. And, and uh, uh, that song's near and dear to our marriage, and the boys love it too. They don't know why. So those are the two things. And uh, Cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. I got a couple here real quick. Uh, since we're talking about music, yeah. uh, I know that you just said Head and Heart was your was your favorite band, but if you could transform yourself into any lead singer of any band, any genre, who would that be? be Brandon Boyd from uh, um, Incubus. That was my favorite band for yeah. a long time. Big Incubus fan. <sighs> super random too that's funny to ask that question um literally ran into him at a grocery store never met him before i'm not a, i'm certainly not a guy who takes selfies i didn't say anything to him stood there and thought about 20 things that i wanted to though and that was the first time in a while i saw somebody i was like oh my gosh it's him so and most people wouldn't have no idea who that guy is so um but yeah brandon boyd from incubus nice nice wrote all of his music wrote most of his music after shows so most guys go out and get wild after shows this guy finished the show and his way of calming down was not drugs it was actually writing so he get back on his wow. bus and write. i thought that was really cool 
totally. their biggest hits came right after he got off stage. Wow. Sweet story. Yeah, man. He was introspective and he was a surfer too, right? Yeah. Probably yeah, still he still is. is. I ran, it was in Malibu is where I ran him. Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. So let's talk about animals. What is your spirit animal? Yeah. Uh, pelican. Oh. <clears throat> Most people don't know this about pelicans. Okay. So pelicans are the ones with the big, the big goal, right? Yeah. Okay. So pelicans basically do one of three things. They go out over in the ocean and they look for bait balls, which is big, big groups of fish, schools of fish, where the tuna underneath are trying to eat them. And so the fish come to the surface. The pelicans fly around in circles and then they basically spearfish, which is one of my favorite things to do. They dive down, Whoa. dive into the water and they grab them. Okay. When they get full to digest, they swim parallel to the ocean, right to the shore, and they fly right above the water. And when there's waves, they come down, fingertip feathers right above the water, and they actually surf the waves. And then when the wave breaks, they go back outside and they find another one. And they wow. just cruise up and down the coast. People don't even realize what they're doing. So they basically nice. spearfish and surf all day long. Those things are badass, man. <laughs> I've seen pelicans do that. And one yeah. they're like, man, they're rolling right next to the wave. They're right down there by it. That's sweet, man. I know that they're a symbol of love too, man. Yep. Pelicans. Yeah, they don't really so, have any predators. Wow. I think you got a good a good spirit animal, man. You from this interview and getting to know you, you got a lot of love in you, Jordan, and give it to your kids and your QB summit. They need someone like you, especially like you mentioned in this world that uh, all these pressures we're facing. So keep being that pelican spirit, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, man. it, guys. Yeah, man. That's all I got, Jake. Man, we're uh, this was a good episode, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Hey.